0: Drabblecast episode 290. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the show, nagger please, weird and unavoidable conduits of discord, annoyance, and exasperation in our lives. That dude on the otherwise silent train, having a loud-ass conversation on his phone that you can't help but focus on. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Johnson's taking care of it on Tuesday, I think. Sure, sure. Nah, I thought the presentation went really well. They're making an offer to corporate. Nah, it was a team effort, team effort. Well, did you try killing it with a shovel? A shovel? Did you try smashing the stupid little thing's head in with a shovel? Listen, it's not my problem, I'm just saying. Do you have a shovel? Well, then just smash that f-ing little thing's head in. Fine, whatever, Johnson will take care of it on Tuesday. That annoying couple at the coffee shop pretentiously talking about movies. Did you know that Luke Skywalker's original last name was actually Killer? Um, no, I only watch foreign movies. If it doesn't have subtitles, I won't even look at it. You do realize you can watch Star Wars with closed captioning? Eh, but can you? Really? Or talking about music. Ace of Bass was the most musically innovative band of the 21st century. Eh. Now there was no musical innovation in the 21st century. Pretty sure there was. I don't think so. Whoever it was that once said, silence is golden, obviously never noticed that duct tape is frickin' silver. This week on the Drabblecast, incessant badgers, that needle, carp, hound, and egg. What could possibly be weirder and more awful than whatever it is that I just described? Let's listen to a 100-word story. This week's 100-word story comes to us from Scattercat, a.k.a. Nathan Lee, and it's called Structural Decay. Nathan's drabbles have been on the show numerous times because he's pretty darn good at writing the damn things. Read his story blog with oodles more where this came from at mirrorshards.org. He got up, just like every morning, and shut off the alarm clock. He brushed his teeth and got dressed. He didn't notice anything odd until he got to the kitchen and tried to verb the eggs. He blinked and looked down at the saucepan, where the nouns still sat verbing. What? he verbed. He tried to verb the nouns again, but pronoun wouldn't verb. Frantically, he clung to specificity, but pronoun verbed adverb. Noun, verbed, preposition, article, noun, but when he opened it, he saw the noun fading into adjective noun. Noun, verbed, noun, verbed, adverb, expletive, noun, verbed. For this week's feature story, we bring you The Screaming Door by Hampus Flink. Mr. Flink was born in Sweden, later attended university in England, but is currently living with his partner in Spain, where he works as a freelance writer and translator. He updates his personal website regularly with stories, articles, and illustrations at HampusFlink.com. Our story this week is read to you by the talented Dan Chambers. Dan's a writer, voice artist, and director of animation from the UK. He's worked on various animated shows you might recognize if you're six years old or know someone who is. Charlie and Lola, Peppa Pig, and Q-Poodle 5, which premiered on the BBC today, Monday the 29th. Find out more about Dan at his website, danchambersanimation.com. So without further ado, we bring you... The Screaming Door, by Hampus Flink.
1: It has been 200 days since the door to my study began screaming. I was nodding over a volume of Edwin Korang's collected prose when I first felt it. A curious ripple that moved through the room, standing my hair on edge, followed by the sensation of coffee spilling into my lap as the screaming began. Maggie twisted her neck around the corner. She was carrying an oval tray of silverware, all rattling with the report of the door. ''Are you in pain, sir?'' she asked. ''Just a coffee burn?'' My voice disappeared in the torrent of screams that flowed from the door. I cleared my throat and stepped away from my writing desk. There was no mistake. The door truly was the originator of the wails that shook the house. The construction seemed to be experiencing an unfathomable terror. It never stopped for breath, and the wood quivered and bent at its hinges. "'Should we call for someone, sir?' Maggie asked. "'I suppose we should.' We called professionals from different fields and requested their presence at the house, but our first visitor was uninvited. We were digesting our lunch in a remote corner of the house when a grey-eyed policeman entered, kicking the mud off his boots against the baseboard. We assured him that no murder was in progress, and Maggie showed him to the study. The policeman gave his verdict while pulling his hat down around his ears. "'Stop this ruckus!' he screamed. "'Or we will have you incarcerated!' I don't care how you do it. People must be able to get on with their business. We have sent for professionals, I shouted, and I am confident that at least one of them will find a solution. Unfortunately, my prediction was inaccurate. A string of useless persons visited my house that afternoon. They were, in order, a burly decorator, who ensured me that the door was in good shape and had been coated with a harmless paint mixture, a woodsman who immediately retreated with tears streaming onto his chequered collar. A priest who proclaimed the door to be possessed and recommended an exorcism. A paranormal investigator who drew the same conclusion as the priest, but offered no solution, though he did demand payment. A physician who declared that there was, as far as he could tell, nothing wrong with the door, but said he would prescribe something for my headache. There were also several more visits from the police, who relayed the complaints of my neighbours and threatened me and the door with incarceration. I always asked for their advice, and they always left while muttering that my attitude needed adjusting. After a few days I was issued a written notification that forbade me from leaving the house until I put an end to the nuisance. We made countless efforts to appease the door. Maggie used to place a cushioned seat in the study every night and read the most soothing works of Pinnacle, Weisberg and Plume with perfect enunciation. Gradually we replaced these with uh, fairy tales my wife had left me. At our own discomfort, we embraced the door each morning and made courteous small talk with it. Efforts to teach the door how to use consonants and form words were unsuccessful. The screaming persisted, a single, unrelenting note of pure terror. "'The ingratitude!' Maggie would say to the door. "'If only you could hear yourself!' One desperate night, I carefully removed the door from its hinges and strapped it to the roof of my car. I drove seven screaming miles into the east and placed the door in the woods, hoping to reacquaint it with some relatives. This seemed to make the problem even worse. The noise stirred the local fauna from the moss, and I was escorted home by a somber convoy of police cars. The sky was turning a pale hue of blue as I arrived to find Maggie sitting on the porch, with her face buried in her hands. She dried her eyes on her apron and ran down the steps to greet me. "'What are you doing out here?' I said. Oh, sir, please replace the door. Things have been terrible without it. You mean to say you've missed this wretched thing? As hard as it may seem to believe, sir, the noise is even worse without it. The screaming didn't stop while I was away. It was sustained in great measure by the door frame, sir. We concluded that it is difficult to determine where a door ceases to be a door, and that the attempted destruction of the screaming door, like that of the hydra, was likely to result. "'in its replication. "'One morning I was able to discern a doorbell amid the screams, "'and I answered it with enthusiasm. "'A grave group of sallow-faced community members stood at the porch. "'Their leader, Mrs Francis, who had once been a close friend of the family, "'held out a letter using both hands. "'I read it quickly and glanced back up at her. "'It is a petition,' said Mrs Francis dryly, "'for your eviction.' "'We have decided that your presence here is detrimental to the neighbourhood. Mrs. Francis smiled apologetically. "'Mrs. Francis, as I have already explained to the police, "'my presence on or off these premises has no effect on the noise. "'Moreover, I have no place to go. "'Perhaps you would like to discuss the matter over a cup of tea. "'Maggie, prepare some tea for our guests.' "'We cannot force you to leave,' said an older man in the back of the group. "'But we have made this petition as a formal assertion of our discontent.' You went through all this trouble just to insult me, I said. It pales in comparison to the insult you've caused us, said Mrs. Francis, breaking into tears. The old man put his hands on her shoulders and guided her towards the gate. I returned inside. Maggie was on her knees, carefully collecting the blue-rimmed shards of a teacup that had danced off her tray. You may as well break them all, I called to her, for we will have no more guests in this house. As the weeks went on, a forest of cardboard signs spread over the neighbouring lawns. Property values plummeted, and I watched the caravans of former neighbours crawl over the hills until every house except mine was empty. I was sitting in front of the fireplace, stirring the embers from the coals, and contemplating my own demise when Maggie ceremoniously struck a ladle against her tray like a gong. There is a gentleman from out of town here, sir. What does he want? He wishes to see the door, sir. you send him away. He says he will pay for his admittance, sir. In an instant, my contempt for mankind was replaced with a desire for its exploitation. As the emigrants from the neighbourhood had settled elsewhere, their stories had aroused the interest of the country folk. Presently, these unwitting peasants began travelling from near and far to experience firsthand the terror of the screaming door on Hill Crescent. I made a spectacle of both the door and myself. Maggie maintained a concession stand with souvenirs, uh, rectangular coasters, and novelty greetings cards, and I assumed the role of MC, swinging an iron poker around my head and spinning tales about lost souls trapped in trees. Sadly, my new business fell apart within weeks, and the joy of exploitation gave way to contempt. A reviewer accused me of maintaining an elaborate ventriloquist act, and visitors agreed that the price of admission was not worth the spectacle. I enjoyed a brief period of printed mockery and prank calls before the world forgot about me and my screaming door. The blinding stare of the bedroom window woke me up. The bedside table lamp was still lit, rattling from the screams. I checked my watch and made my way toward the stairs, while securing the belt of my robe. "'Maggie!' I called, trying to best the door in a shouting contest would be futile. I had to call again in closer proximity to my target. As my feet touched the cold planks of the ground floor, I cursed having forgotten my slippers in the bathroom. Maggie normally placed them by my bed every morning. I called for Maggie again to reprimand her for this oversight. There was no response. I felt guilty about being mad at Maggie and called for her again to apologise. Like a child searching for his snowman in the rain, I surveyed and re-surveyed every corner of the house. I took offence to every empty chair, every slanted picture frame, and every conspicuous carpet stain all scored by the monotonous composition of the door. As I read Maggie's resignation, which was appropriately concise, I could have sworn that the door was laughing at me. I have thought of destroying the door, of course. The only thing that stayed my hand in the past was the possibility of inspiring new terror in the other doors of the house as I smashed their brother with my hatchet. But tonight, the destruction will be done. Why should this curse be visited only on my head? After the generosity the world has shown me, the very least I can do is to share with it my loudest possession. The fireplace is roaring. In a moment, I will release the screaming door into our atmosphere. From this day forth, may silence be but a legend passed on to our children.
0: Was our story. That's pretty much how I feel about the doors too. Come on, baby, light my fire, indeed. So that wraps up July. Next month is H.P. Lovecraft month, meaning we bring you a whole month of original commissioned work by some of our favorite authors, all coloring somewhere between the lines of H.P. Lovecraft's extensive, weird, and wonderful mythos. You're totally gonna love it. It's always a blast. For now, though, it's time to recognize our Drabblecast kick-ass donor of the week. Yeah. Oh. Jared Anderson. Formerly, Jared taught English at Ohio University. Currently, he works at a foundation that raises money for a wide range of college scholarships. He writes about education by day and ghosts, monsters, and madmen by night it's a good arrangement. Jared's a fan of comic books, John Milton, tattoos, pulp detective novels, herpetology, folklore, video games, and all things sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. Growing up, he wanted to be either a ninja or a maple tree. These aspirations led him to teach college English. And teaching college English has led him to change to other careers. Jared's works appeared in numerous online and print publications, including Escape Pod, Electric Spec, The Colored Lens, Ray Gun Revival, and Stupefying Stories. He lives in Central Ohio and in the Laughter of Children. We appreciate your generous support, Jared. You're man. All right, folks, moving on to our 100 character story winner this week. First time winner, Dire Carl, with this one here. Later, Lizard Woman gave her errant husband such a strenuous tongue-lashing that it went in one ear and out the other. Lizard Man, what can you do? Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Give it a shot. Post in the TwitFix section of our discussion forums at forums.drepplecast.org. You might be next week's winner. Follow The Drabblecast on Twitter at The Drabblecast. Alright folks, that's our show this week. Remember The Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Tell a friend about us, write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, and spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Forrest Warner. Forrest is known to his friends as Duster, and by reputation as the country-strong bandit of central New York. His hobbies include art, amorous glancings, and deterring those foolhardy souls who would seek to mess with Texas. Keep up the good work, Forrest. Our program this week was brought to you by Managing Editor Nikki Drayden, Submissions Editor Nathan Lee, our Art Director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you that Johnson will take care of it on Tuesday. An hour ago, this place was loaded, and noise filled the room like the smoke, and laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass, words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when slow. In the dark corner table Sits Lance Fernandez, the boss And his women surround him like clothing All tussled and ready to toss All tussled and ready to toss